Good morning. I think most of you know that our role in work right now in ministry is that we do pastoral care for global workers all over the world. And I want to introduce you to two friends that we use a lot when we talk to missionary kids. Now I know for those of you in the back, it's probably really, really hard to see, but what do I got up here? Rubber ducks, and there's two of them. And if you could see them up close, you would see that one is really nice and neat and clean, and one of them, he's got some scars, he's got a patch over one eye, and he's looking like he's experienced some hard things. And we call these ducks our yay duck and our yuck duck. And they're a pair, they're a pair of ducks, paradox. Yeah, we're pretty, we're pretty funny. <laughs> and so when we meet with kids, we bring out our ducks and we say, this life is full of yay ducks and yuck ducks. And the thing about a pair of ducks is that they go together. They're with each other. And isn't that true of what our life is like? We've got the yay and the yuck right next to each other. Sometimes in the course of one day, we experience emotional whiplash where we can have really great things happening and in the next moment our hearts are broken. These guys travel with us. Joy and sorrow are our companions. I remember a day we had in China where it was a yay duck and a yuck duck all wrapped up in one day. Over the course of several months, our boys had been developing a friendship with a beggar on the street. And he invited our family to come meet his wife and have dinner together. And so it was a hard day. We got lost along the way. We got stuck in traffic. We couldn't find him. We finally get to this place where he wants to have dinner with us. And as the food came out, we began to realize, oh, this is going to be one of those days where we have to pray the missionary prayer, where we say, Lord, we will get it down, but you have to keep it down. <laughs> it was, there were some yuck duck moments that day. But at the end of that day, do you know what happened? The beggar that we have been building a friendship with for six months finally looked at us and he said, I want to know why you guys have joy. And he asked us to tell him the gospel. Yay and yuck ducks right next to each other. And hasn't that been our life in 2020? <laughs> We've had a lot of yuck duck days, haven't we? We live in a world of paradox, joy and sorrow. And we're going to look at a psalm together this morning that holds those two next to each other and gives us an invitation of how to walk in this world. So open your Bibles or turn on your phones and open to Psalm 126. And I'm going to ask you to keep it open because we're going to be referring back to it as we move along this morning. Psalm 126. And as I read it, pay attention to what emotions you see or hear in this psalm. Psalm 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues, our tongues with songs of joy. And then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. 
Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. So we're going to look at three things in this psalm this morning. We're going to look at an invitation to joy, praying our tears in the land in between, and remembering that the best is yet to come. So first, an invitation to joy. Look at those first three verses. There is a lot of celebration happening, isn't there? What are some of those words you see in those first three verses? He says, laughter, shouts of joy. It was so good, it felt like a dream. And look at it carefully. Why are they so happy in this first half of the psalm? Joy comes because they're remembering what God has done. Now, we don't know the exact circumstance of this psalm, but a lot of scholars say this is a psalm that is referring to the Israelites after the exile. And if you remember, they had been carted off to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar in 586, and Jerusalem was razed to the ground. They lost everything. In Psalm 137, about this time, the Israelites said, By the waters of Babylon we sat down and wept. The Israelites knew true depths of grief. But then, in 536, they said it was like a dream. Suddenly this emperor, Cyrus, issues a decree and they get to go home. How can this be? So in this first half of the psalm, the Israelites are looking back at what God has done. He has set them free from exile. We were like those who dreamed. I've honestly always loved this psalm for the re this, this reason. I love to laugh. And I have struggled sometimes in life thinking that God is really serious. And that the only right path to a deep relationship with God is to be serious and quiet. And yes, there is truth that we need stillness and quiet. But do you ever picture God laughing? Do you imagine that our God is a God of great joy? That he fills our lives with stories of his kindness and that that makes him smile? I have a really good friend named Bev, and she shared a dream that she had with me, and I love this dream. She said in her dream, she heard this big, raucous laughter coming from down a hallway. And she said, well, of course I had to go find out what was so funny. So she starts walking down the hallway in her dream. And she said, I got to this doorway and I could hear voices laughing inside. And so I, I started to open the door to see what was going on in there. And she said, I saw the Trinity sitting around a coffee table with cups of coffee. And they were laughing so hard. And she said, I, I saw Jesus laughing so hard that tears were coming out of his eyes. And she said, my next thought was, I almost felt like I was interrupting a private moment and I shouldn't be there. So she said, I started to tiptoe back out of the room and pull the door shut. And she said, Jesus turned around and said, Bev, what are you doing? We want you right here at the table. And then she woke up. Do we ever picture our God being a God of laughter and joy? 
And friends, this is not a superficial laughter at a silly joke. Remember, the Israelites have gone through deep suffering, but they're holding on to something that is true and deep. Do you struggle to find joy in these days? Hashtag 2020, right? <laughs> it's been a hard year. So I think God's call to us to begin is to remember, to look back and remember who he is and all of his kindnesses to us from the big things to the small things. So this week, I challenge you, sit down with your friends or your kids and make a list. Remember what God has done. And by the way, what does the hurting world see in this psalm? Do you guys notice that the first people to take note of what God had done was not the churchgoers? In verse 2 it says, It was said among the nations that the Lord has done great things. So I wonder, what does the world see of the church today? What does Granville see of Ivanrest? Are we a people that remember, who look back at what God has done, and the world says, wow, God has done great things. In our divided nation, what does the world see of the church? And in case we think that that's kind of way out there, I got to tell you, yesterday I was at Rivertown Mall bringing one of my sons to take a driving test. And so I sat on a bench outside one of the entrances of the mall with a friend while we waited for the test to get done. And can I tell you that in the course of one hour, the friend and I were talking about God and we had two people walk up to us and say, are you guys talking about God? Because I have some questions. Two people at Rivertown Crossings. The world is hurting and they need the hope that we have. But then in verse four, so the first three verses are an invitation to joy, to remember what God has done. But then in verse four, do you notice that the tone changes in verse four? From four to the end, it's a different feeling. The second half of the psalm is a prayer, and they're asking God, do it again. Look at the emotion in verse 4 to 6. They're not laughing anymore. So the Israelites have returned from exile, and they come back. They're all excited. They're going home, and when they get there, what do they find? Jerusalem is in rubble. The land hasn't been farmed for 50 years. And there's a whole bunch of people that were too old or too sick or too stubborn to leave Babylon. So they've lost people they love. And they cry out, restore us, O Lord. See, I think this psalm is a good story of living in the land in between. Between what God had done for them and what they were still hoping he would do. They are laughing and weeping together, both utterly grateful for what God had done and yet longing for restoration that wasn't yet there. Boy, isn't this us? Isn't this where we live? We have these parallel train tracks of joy and sorrow that go with us through our life. We love and we long for. I don't know about you, but I feel like I live in this place a lot. 
We love our country and we ache with its brokenness. We're grateful for our family and friends and yet we wrestle with loneliness and isolation. Think of our Ivanrest family. We have celebrated weddings and baptisms and soon profession of faith. And we also have cancer and heart disease and chronic disease. We live in that land in between where Christ has come and accomplished salvation, but we are still waiting for complete restoration. So look at verse 5. The psalmist says, Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Have you sown any tears in 2020? You know, Tim Keller says we, we tend to be kind of uncomfortable with emotions, maybe especially in church. We don't always know what to do with our emotions. And Tim Keller says religion often tells us to stuff them, right? We just don't really talk about our emotions. The world tells us to dump them, just vent, let it all hang out, you know, say what you need to say and complain. And Tim Keller says, there's a third way. A gospel-oriented way. We don't have to stuff our emotions, and we don't have to dump our emotions. We can learn to pray our emotions. And that's what I think this psalm encourages us to do. To take all of our emotions to God. Our joys and our tears. To pray our tears. I often think there was once a perfect heart on this earth and he knew grief and he wept. Friends, this psalm reminds us that we are invited to joy by remembering what God has done and we are also invited to pray our tears, to be honest with God. Verse 6 says, Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing the harvest with them. Does anybody resonate with that verse? That sometimes we pour out, and we love, and we invest, and it is hard work. The people we long to see come to Christ are still on the outside. We have adult children who walk away from the Lord. We have hearts broken with strained marriages. We long for rest. As Tim and I work with Christians around the world in a lot of hard countries, I can tell you the church around the world is sowing with tears and waiting for that harvest. But there it is again in that verse. He says, we will come home with joy. What begins in weeping ends in rejoicing. So we're invited to both, those two ducks side by side. And weeping does not get the final word. Last year, Tim and I met a very dear brother, a good friend from Afghanistan, and I'm going to call him Amir. He's the only believer in his family, and he literally has to hide from an uncle and brothers who have legal right to kill him for converting to Christianity. And when I met Amir, he just beams. 
I mean, the joy of Christ just beams on this guy's face. Not because his life is easy. He certainly has had more than enough tears and pain. But because he told me that Jesus is true and he had changed everything, I asked him one time, how did you, what was, what was it, what happened? How did you take that step into becoming a Christ follower? And he said, you know, I'll tell you a cultural piece. He said, Afghan men, we don't cry. He said, if you cry, you're not a man. But he said, that day, as I heard the gospel, I could not stop the tears coming out of my eyes. And he said, I just knew in the core of my heart that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. Friends, we live in the land in between of sorrow and joy side by side. We live where Christ has come and inaugurated his kingdom and given us salvation, and yet there's a lot of pain and hurt in our world. So where do you find yourself in this psalm? Are your, is your mouth filled with laughter or are you sowing tears? The psalm ends with great hope. The best is yet to come. The psalm says those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return home with shouts of joy, carrying the harvest. So the Israelites were trusting in who they knew God was, trusting that he would do it again, that the God of steadfast love would be faithful to bring in the harvest, and he would restore them. They prayed their tears. They talked to the Lord about it, trusting he would do it again. And we know on this side of the cross that he did that. Think of that verse. It's one of my favorite verses. Those who go out weeping, bearing seed for sowing, will come home with shouts of joy, bringing a harvest. Jesus did this. He was the man of sorrows who went out weeping, bearing the weight of our sin. He was deserted in the garden, betrayed by his friends, and the gospel tells us he wept tears that fell like blood. And Jesus didn't just bring seeds to plant. He went out weeping, sowing his very life that we would live. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he is coming back with shouts of joy, bringing a harvest with him. The God who is worthy of praise will redeem the brokenness of our lamenting world. He will. Our wailing is going to turn to dancing. The Psalms teach us over and over that he is king. He is on the throne. He's coming again. And they teach us that he is our refuge, drawing the nations to himself. Do you know that the Psalms are divided into five books? And at the end of each book, do you know what's there? A doxology of praise. Study it sometime. It's so awesome. That's where we're marching towards. We're constantly heading towards a doxology of praise. So the last word in this Psalm is victory. 
the best is coming. There's a harvest and shouts of joy and healing. In the Westminster Catechism, I know we don't study that as much in the CRC, but there's a great question, number one. The question asks, what is the chief end of man? What are we here for? What's our purpose? And it's a very simple answer. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Enjoy him forever. Friends, we are made for joy. We are made for friendship with God. Do you feel his smile? Eugene Peterson says, blessing is at the end of the road. And what's at the end of the road influences everything that takes place along the road. What's at the end of the road influences everything along the road. Friends, we are headed for joy. One of my favorite books series is the Chronicles of Narnia. Raise your hand if you've read Narnia. I love these books. And at the end of the last book, the characters find themselves in a land so great, so beautiful, so breathtaking, they struggle to find words to describe it. And they kind of wonder where they are. And there's a unicorn among them who says, who's the first to realize, and he begins to shout, I've come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I've been looking for my whole life, though I never knew it. And the children in the story begin to see that it resembles places they've seen before, except the new country was deeper. Every rock and flower and blade of grass looked as if it meant more. The colors were richer, the mountains were more stunning, and one character says, they're just more like the real thing. And then, as they journey farther up and farther in, they finally come face to face with the lion, Aslan, who is the Christ figure in this entire series. And they ask him, where are we? What's going on? Do we have to leave? And Aslan says, the term is over. The holidays have begun. The dream is ended and this is the morning. And as he spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after were so great and so beautiful, I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories and we can most truly say they lived happily ever after. But for them, it was just the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now, at last, they were entering chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth had read, which goes on forever, where every chapter is better than the one before. Or in John's words, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. 
and I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Behold, the dwelling of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from every eye, and death shall be no more. In this psalm today, God's people celebrated what God had done how he brought justice, how he fed the hungry, how he brought them home. And they didn't even know what was yet to come. That the word would become flesh and dwell among us. That he would come and usher in the true kingdom of God. That he would heal our blindness and feed our starving souls and destroy our ultimate enemy. Friends, we're headed home to the great story. And it is a glorious place with no more suitcases, no more pandemics or politics, no more tears and no more sorrow. And all that is broken made whole. But we're not there yet. We live in the land in between with racial and political tensions and broken dreams. But we know the end. C.S. Lewis says, at present we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern freshness, but we're not yet fresh. But the leaves of the New Testament rustle with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, we'll get in. And the door we've been knocking on our whole life will open at last. So what is our response as we go out into our hurting and broken world? The world filled with yay ducks and yuck ducks. Number one, fix your eyes on Jesus. Remember. Take time this week to actually remember to think of God's goodness and kindness and generosity. The sun rose today. We're breathing clean air. We have food and friendship and church. But even more than those things, those gifts, we are dearly loved by the God of the universe who always wants you with him. Look for God's smile this week. Remember. And number two, pray your tears. Ask God how to sow your tears like the psalmist. To cry out to him with your fear and your frustration and your sorrows. I don't know about you, but for me, I sometimes need to be reminded to spend less time watching the news and more time just talking to Jesus. So try this week to take even 10 minutes a day and talk to him. And number three, as you look back and remember, as you pray your tears, the last thing is remember the best is yet to come. What happens at the end of the road influences everything along the way. And we know the end. That healing and reconciliation is coming. Let that hope influence us this week as we go out into our hurting world. The world needs that hope so desperately. 
One of my favorite verses is Psalm 17, verse 15. It says, as for me, my hope is to see your face. I will look upon the face of my God, and when I awake, the longing of my soul will be satisfied. Friends, your king, who loves you with an unshakable love, is inviting you to share all of yourself with him this week. He's scanning the horizon always looking for you. Receive that invitation to his joy, to his laughter, and to his home. Let's pray. Our good and gracious King, we are so grateful that this world is not all there is. We are so incredibly thankful for the promise that there is joy on the horizon and a harvest that's coming. We are so grateful that you are a God that invites us not only to joy, but invites us to sow our tears, to be honest with you, and that you're big enough for all of it. Wow, teach us, Lord, how to show this hope and this joy to our broken and hurting world. You are the king, and we are so grateful you're on the throne. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.